On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Stan Bush. Hi, this is Stephanie Calvert. This is John Payne. This is Jack Hughes. Hi, I'm Carrie Stevens. Hey, everybody, this is Prescott Niles. Hello, I'm Kofi Baker. This is Tony Franklin here. test this is play that rock and roll i'm your host joseph k and like my old theme song used to say just call me joe that's right i said old theme song because we got a new theme song what do you think about that the new music was created by michael Schicciano, and you can find him on twitter at skitch music so if you enjoyed the new theme music be sure to give michael a follow on twitter great stuff Today is our final episode of 2022, and it is an interview with Joe Matera, who recently published his first book, Backstage Pass, The Grit and the Glamour. Backstage Pass is an anthology of stories from Joe's 20-plus year career as a music journalist, which include interactions with legendary figures in rock and roll like Lemmy from Motorhead, the band Yes, Steve Lukather from Toto, and even Sir George Martin, the famous producer for the Beatles. We talk about each of those guys in the interview you're about to watch, but that's only scratching the surface when it comes to what Joe has put in his book. Joe is an accomplished music journalist who has had articles published in Guitar World magazine, Guitar Player magazine, Goldmine, Metal Edge, and several other publications. And Joe is also a musician himself. In fact, his first two records are being re-released in early 2023. So I need to thank Joe for being such a fantastic guest. I'm so happy we're able to close out the year on a subject that I find to be very important. Music journalism is critical, not just for fans' enjoyment, but for history. It's keeping the record of the art that we love. And it's because of people like Joe that we as fans get the stories and information about the artists that we love. So I have a lot of appreciation for what Joe does, and it was a real joy speaking to him about this first book. So if you want to learn more about Backstage Pass, you can check out Joe's website. That's joematera.com. I've posted an Amazon link to get Backstage Pass in the video description below. And I've also posted links to various archives of Joe's articles that have been published in the publications I mentioned earlier. So if you got the book and you want to dig even deeper, you can start with those links and see all of the fantastic articles that Joe has published over the years. Furthermore, you can find him on Facebook and also YouTube, as he currently hosts a YouTube series called Heritage Musicians in Conversation with Joe Matera that acts as an extension of his print journalism work. Some really cool interviews over on that channel, so be sure to uh, check him out over there. And with that, here's my conversation with author of Backstage Pass, The Grit and the Glamour, Joe Matera. Thank you for coming on. Uh, we are here to talk about your book, Backstage Pass, The Grit and the Glamour, uh, which is available on Amazon. Is that the best way for fans to get the book? Or yeah, Amazon's the best way to get it on Amazon. That's correct. Yes. Um, Amazon, in, in, in any of the territories, anybody outside of, say, America, say they're in um, Australia, they give Amazon Australia. So, but yeah, Amazon's the best place to get it. And it's very okay. quick. I mean, I'm sure um, I've heard fans say to me, uh, you know, the books arrived within like 48 hours, which is quite a fast service. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. Uh, and this is your first book, 
but you have been published many times before in in various uh, music magazines, right? Yep, that's yeah. correct. So when putting this book together, well, let's start with this. Uh, was was doing a book like this a, a long-standing goal of yours, or was there a specific point where you determined that you wanted to put a book of all your stories together? Um, over the years, I've had people say to me, um, you know, you would have a lot of stories to sort of, um, you know, to share, and you'd be, you know, good to do a book. You know, I go, oh, yeah, maybe one day I'll do a book, but it was never a plan until the pandemic hit. I mean, when the pandemic hit, because all my shows sort of got mm. cancelled and touring and and there's a lot of time at home, I, I thought, you know what, maybe, you know, I just started writing some sort of um, articles from my, um, I went from my diaries because what I did was basically a big reason why I could write a book like I've got is I've kept detailed diaries over the years. So it goes way back to the late 90s and um, I still keep diaries today and, and that's what helped me keep my memory because obviously there's a lot of stuff in there where I would go now. Oh, I can't remember that, but when you look in your diaries, you got it written down, and you go, and all of a sudden the other memories start happening to you. So, I, I um, I'm lucky that I had them sort of recorded. So, but anyway, I just started writing down some um, sort of little thoughts and that sort of stuff, and and then the idea came. And I thought, you know what, this, you know, we're not doing anything. Maybe I'll, I'll write a book. So I put together a couple of chapters, and I thought, oh, I want to see if there's an interest in it. And um, I posted out, you know, sent the manuscript of a couple of chapters to a few publishers. And, you know, they go, oh yeah, that's that's not bad. And then one of them in the UK. Uh, read it and they go, this is a really unique book. This is um, something um, we would publish. Would you, you know, if you're willing to finish it, we'll publish it. And I go, well, yeah. And they gave me encouragement to sort of sit down and then just write the book. So, you know, it took about probably an 18 month period of writing the actual book you oh. know, itself. Um, so quite, quite a sort of a, a lengthy period. Um, but, uh, and, and the difference about my book is um, I've read so many um, biographies and autobiographies, you know, music books. I'm, I'm a fan of that sort of stuff. Yeah. And it's always stories of myths and the drugs and the sex and, you know, sort of stuff. And I get tired of that because a lot of that stuff, seriously, is is myth, myth-making, basically. You know, it's, it's, it's exaggerated. It's not actually really true, but it's a good story. It sells books. It sells, you know, the artist's profile. And I wanted to get behind that. And I wanted, because I'm a musician myself, I've seen this stuff up hand and, and actually experienced it myself. So I wanted to show people that, the hard work that's involved, what what's you know what it's like to you know be a, a musician on tour, what it's like to talk to these guys backstage. For example, um, there's hours and hours of waiting backstage for your show. Now people think you know it's all this glamorous life of you know partying and and um, must be lots of. Fun. It's not. It's actually quite boring at times and hard work. Yeah. I mean, uh, um, and the pressures on, especially an artist who's signed a major label. I mean, the amount of pressures involved. It's just, it's absolutely out of this world, you know. And then they've got an entourage of people that are all employed by the artists. So if you lose, if you cancel a show, there's all these people out of work as a pandemic showed, you know. So I wanted to show people that, you know, that these guys are just humans like you and I. They're just doing a job. The only difference is they're doing a the job they really love and it's, you know, it's music, they're being creative. But it's not as simple as it looks. It's not, you know, the media just makes it out as bad. They're flying on their private jets to, you know, the Bahamas, you know. You know, some of them probably do that, you know, and don't get me wrong, that, that actually happens. But 95% of the time, it doesn't. You know, there's a lot more involved. And and I just want to show people that, you know, the great stories, you know, and, and the human element to it and, and the hard work and the sacrifices, you know, that you need, you know. And um, it's not about going on something like American Idol and becoming an instant star. It's about building. A lot of these artists have spent, years and years building their yeah. fan base you know and back in the day the record companies would allow um artist development you know so after three four albums that's when the old the artists will start to sort of break the scene now it's completely overturned where they'll sign up for one single and if you don't right. make that single number one you're out which is really yeah. sad because there's so many talented artists out there you know who need to be developed you know i i would say the vast majority of my favorite bands all fit that early mode mold, you know, of slowly working up to their apex. And then, you know, some stayed there at a high level and some didn't. Um, but in, in, would you say in your experience as a music journalist, this is sort of a, a unique way for someone to interact with some, some of these artists because, you know, when you're speaking with them, they're not on stage or a, on a TV show where they have to be in rock star mode and, you know, kind of playing up to that mythology that you're talking about. When you get them one-on-one, -on -one, do you tend to find that it's more common for them to be a little more down-to-earth and more, you know, talking to you like another person? Or do you find that some of them feel the need to still keep that legend up 
and kind of be on, you know, when they're around you, you know, even just one-on-one? Uh, that's a good question. The, the, the thing with me, what, what makes it different with me is because I'm a musician and because I've sort of done a lot of stuff that they've done, you know, yeah. and, and sort of to it, they open, it's like a fellow musician. So they they open up with me, they're down to earth and, you know, we, we and they know that I'm not there for a, uh, you know, um, a headline or something like that. So, you know, we just, yeah. sort of, it's like having two friends in, in the um, bar and just sharing a drink and, you know, sharing war stories and that sort of stuff. So, they are very sort of open to me and, and they can trust me because they know from my work in the past, I've interviewed some, you know, a lot of, a lot of artists and, um, you know, they've told me stuff that's been off the record and I've never released that sort of stuff. And I would never do that. I would respect that, you know, and, um, and they can trust me. They know that I'm not going to just sort of hear something and next minute write a headline and sell some magazines. So it's always about the music for me. It always has been from day one. I'm a fan of music, you know, so I, I want to talk to them about the music. I want to, I want to sort of get inside the, the artist's mind and, and see where they're coming from the process, you know, and, and that's what we talk about, you know. I'm not interested in anything else, you know. Um, what they do, it's, it's up to them, you know. Um, and like I said, a lot of times, you know, I, I'll, I'll read an article, for for example, I might be with an artist and I've done a sort of a show with them and, and then a couple of weeks later I read an article and, 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 and the article will describe something that happened backstage which I'm going, that didn't happen, I was there, oh. you know. But, you know, it's like something like say maybe they might have had a drink, but that in the article they might have said they had like a, a dozen drinks and they were you know, off their face. It's like, that didn't happen in order to just, so I'm thinking, where does this come from? Where does these people get these ideas and just exaggerate it? But again, it sells headlines. People go, oh yeah, you know. Well, that's so interesting because you straddle both worlds. You're a, you're a musical artist and you're a journalist and you, I, I guess, can see how both of those fields can build their own legends, right? And how do you, well, let's talk about that for a minute. How, given that you have this experience and you have this insight, how do you navigate when, um, you know, maybe an editor or a magazine wants you to build big up a story, or maybe when you're with an artist who is trying to be bigger than life, if that ever happens? Like, how how do you navigate uh, so you're you're actually getting you know the the truth out of uh, somebody despite maybe how they want it presented and maybe how your editor or your your magazine wants it presented. That's, that's a good question because, yeah, I mean, um, you get some editors that sort of want a bit of a headline. But look, most of the magazines I write for are really great. They're all about the music oh. and, and that sort of stuff. So I don't actually write for sort of the tabloid sort of stuff, you know. Yeah. I, I wouldn't do it. And that's the thing. I wouldn't work for them because it's it's not it's not what I'm interested in and it's not what I want to do. Um, but that, that, that's a really good point. Um, I, I, I mean, I always get the, you know, I get the, the truth from them because I, I'm honest with them and I tell them straight out, you know. And, um, and, and another thing is I've always sort of sent my interviews to the to the artist or the, the publicity firm and, and they know from my reputation oh. that oh you know he's he's kept his word he's as and then they'll talk to me again next time you know so because you know your articles do get read you know yeah and, and you'll know i mean if you ever do write something that's that's inaccurate i mean i'm i'm very fussy and pedantic in that fact about facts so say an artist tells me something and they might say um oh you know uh, we released this second album and on the second album had this track on it right and you know they told me a story so i'll double check that to make sure and it's happened to me once before where an artist and it's only because it was so long ago they sure. told me about about one of their tracks and um i looked it up and it didn't exist you know so <laughs> i i left it out of the article and then i contacted the artist and then i mentioned to them they said oh that's right yeah yeah we saw we got that wrong you know and that's what I mean. I like to check myself because at the end of the day, I'm putting my name onto an article. That's my reputation. So I want to be accurate in what I report or what I write about. And um, and as a music fan myself, I mean, I, I read books and I want to be able to sort of read something and go, oh, that's, that's what the truth is, rather than going, is that, is that you know, write that information? And fans are really, I mean, diehard fans know know their artists, you know, and there's no way you could, you know, say, say to them, um, so-and-so released a vinyl which had a special bonus track on it and they go mm-hmm. oh we've got it where is it <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh that's an interesting point because you know as a fan i'm like you i love reading rock biographies and every great once in a while i'll read something that like i because of just my own experience as a fan i know something is either wrong or a little misleading and that is so frustrating because it undercuts the credibility of like the rest of the work so, you know, what you're talking about is is really highlighting the importance of, you know, getting the story true, because if someone can undercut one thing, um, you know, they might, you know, 
not trust the rest of what you've put together. So let, let's talk about um, some of the magazines that you write for. So uh, when did you start publishing articles and, and what are some of the magazines you've been a part of? Okay, um, started publishing articles in the late 90s. And actually, okay. you're in Milwaukee, aren't you? Yes. One of the early magazines I used to write for was a Madison magazine called um, Maximum Inc. Whoa, okay. Hey, that's awesome, man. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I used to do some reviews and I used to cover a lot of sort of metal bands. I think I did a, a Fee Factory story, uh, cover okay. story from once. Um, so, you know, that, that, and I did some writing for those guys. And then I sort of branched out, you know, and um, uh, got into the other magazine. And as my reputation grew and my work got, you know, more and more known, I got offered more sort of um, other magazines. And, you know, basically uh, now I write for. Um, Guitar Player, Guitar World, um, Record Collector in the UK, Goldmine in the US, um, uh, Sound on Sound in the UK. So there's quite a few magazines I write for, and um, it's fantastic. I really enjoy it. I mean, Goldmine, I, I do a, a column every month called The Search for Vinyl Gold, um, which is an online sort of column I do, and also do articles for the actual magazine, the print version. So, um, and you know, Guitar Playing, Guitar World, they're absolutely. They're, they're, I mean, they're, they're magazines I grew up with. I mean, I used to... Uh, buy and read, um, you know, when I was growing up, Guitar Player magazine and guitar. I've got still got all those early issues, you know. Yeah. To sort of end up writing for them is just sort of wow, you know, it's a dream come true, really. Oh, that's, yeah, that's terrific. And, and how cool is it to see that, you know, for all that's been said about how print is dead and whatever, and, you know, how, frankly, how many magazines have folded or have had to go to online only, it must be very cool to still be part of magazines that you know are are still running you know through the traditional means and keeping that spirit of journalism alive you know i, I always see old pictures of like cream magazine or kerrang and you know I, I wish i had a big pile of those in my own collection but unfortunately a lot of those really didn't survive I, like i have a book that's a collection of articles about acdc that were all originally published in uh, kerrang you know like that kind of stuff is really cool Absolutely. Uh, and I, look, you mentioned Cream. I used to read Cream. And uh, Circus Magazine was another one I used to read. Oh, and, um, yeah. Um, Metal Edge, um, which I actually write for Metal Edge today, too, um, but the oh, online well. version of it. Um, yeah. Uh, what was the other one? There's a Hit Parade was another magazine I used to read. Um, and look, I'm old school. And, and the thing is, you're right, traditional print, I don't think will ever go out because there is a market for that sort of stuff. I mean, I can't read online magazines. It's just, it's just annoying to sit on the computer. I want to be able to sort of sit down, relax, have a book in my hand and um, and read. I mean, um, you know, it's great to be have available for, you know, like if you're going away on your phone or stuff, which is great. It's handy. But uh, at the end of the day, I mean, it's like it's vinyl. It's like the resurgence in vinyl. I mean, people buy it because it's tangible. It's something that you can hold. Yes. And not only that, I mean, the whole experience of music is to sit down read the liner notes. I used to always do that. I used to go, oh, who's this artist or who's this musician to find out? Nowadays, you go on Spotify and all you see is the cover art and the name and that's it. And if you ask someone yeah. who played on, they go, I don't know. You know, like yeah. they will know who they are. Absolutely. Physical media, it, it holds up, not, you know, through across all formats. So and magazines are, are definitely one of those. Um, so you mentioned that you, you are someone who loves reading, you know, uh, rock biographies and memoirs and stuff like that. Um, when you were putting your book together, uh, were there any other previous books um, specifically that either maybe inspired you to write or, or influenced how you decided to put your story together? Maybe not that you read in the immediate run up to it, but, oh, you know, in, in your years of reading these books, you know, were there any that influenced you? Yeah, look, um, one book I read many years ago, and which always um, is one of my favourites, is called uh, Diary of a Rock and Roll Star for Ian Hunter, um, which oh. came out in the early 70s. It's, it's like uh, 50 years old, but it's such a great book. And he details the whole American tour uh, of um, Mott the Hoople, you know. And, oh, um, okay, yeah. And it was like a day-by-day -day sort of, um, you know, diary type thing, which really, you know, showed me, um, you know, text to read it through what it's like to be on tour. And that's where I got my inspiration. So I thought I wanted to write something like that, but obviously not day by day, but much more in a story sort of line, feature line. So, um, but that that's what inspired me. And I think that's one of the greatest sort of, uh, um, how can I say, rock and roll books out. And people should check mm. it out. It's really, really great. But it's been updated, I think. Um, but a uh, fantastic book. Oh, very good. Very good. One of the things, uh, one of the parts that I liked most about your book um, that I think really spoke to your type of journalism is that your story 
uh, about um, interviewing Jackson Brown, in which you know you you told to his management, and I imagine you tell this to everybody's management that you know you're not interested in in drama. You want to talk to him about the technical aspects of music. You know, can can you talk about like when when artists realize you're there? Uh, for, to ask them those type of questions, and they're they're not you're not trying to just write a tabloid story, you know. Is there a sense of relief when they notice that you're you're there to talk about you know the the real tools of music? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you, you sort of uh, you, you know that you sort of um, there's always ways around asking the artists. I think look, one of the most important things about interviewing artists is um, you must always ask them engaging questions and 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 show them that you've spent time research now. I've read a lot of, and I watched a lot of interviews and read a lot of interviews, and I can tell that sometimes some of those journalists have not even spent a minute on researching the artists. And you can usually tell oh, because yeah. when artists sort of, um, in their responses, I mean, you get all these sort of headlines with saying, um, for example, you know, so-and-so um, walked out of an interview or, you know, their answers were sort of short, you know. And you can yeah. tell why because when you look at it and you go, well, that person's never bothered to. I mean, an artist is, will be asked a question a million times. You can understand yeah. they're going to get frustrated with it. Now, if yeah. one of the things that really irks me about journalism is when artists um, get asked, for example, so tell us about your music, right? Now, that <laughs> is, I, I would say that's the most laziest question you could, the most amateur question you could ever ask because um, you're going to lose the artist straight away because if yeah. you don't know about the artists themselves, why? What are you doing interviewing? You know, so yeah. ask them something that they have never been asked before. It takes time. It takes a lot of work. You know, I spend days researching stuff. You know, and I'll come up. I'll probably try and read every interview that's been done, and then I'll formulate my questions on something that um, that I find interesting about them. You know, there might be sort of a hobby of theirs that they do that no oh. one has ever asked them, and I might say to them. And they go, oh, really? And they know that you've spent the time. And then they open up to you, you know, and they know that you're actually interested in them. And I am interested in them. But no use asking them, for example, um, I saw, uh, I read that you went to number one and um, you you had this much success. And it's like, well, yeah, if you read about it, you would know the answer. Why ask me about it? So, mm -hmm. so it's about asking questions that are really engaging and, and shows your understanding of the artist. Well, yeah. And I, I imagine especially because, now that we're living in the internet age, so much information is readily available. Whereas maybe back in like, you know, the eighties, uh, certain things were only answered in individual interviews and maybe, you know, you could be a little more forgiving about asking real basic questions, but you know, with big name artists, you know, so much of that information, the basic stuff is out there in so many places already. So when, when you're conducting an interview, um, for an article, what would you say is your primary goal? Like, what what is the information you want to get out of an artist uh, for what you're going to write about? Is it specifically about whatever project they're promoting or working on at the time? Or do you want to do a historical sort of retrospectives? Like, you know, does it change from artist to artist? What would How would you describe is your primary goal for an article? Um, well, nowadays I like doing sort of more retrospective historic pieces, you know. Yeah. Um, and back by early days, I used to do stuff that was all about their sort of new releases. And obviously you ask them about their past. But um, it depends on the assignment, you know, like a magazine might say, um, a guitar magazine is much more sort of uh, broad where it's, you know, that you obviously you mention the new release because that's why they're doing promo. So right. that's part of the, uh, of the interview. But then you can sort of talk about, you know, the guitar playing in anything, you know, whether it's something on the past or what they're doing now. or So it, it sort of depends on, you know, what the assignment's about and what they're... But most of the time, the reason why an artist is available for interviews is because they've got a product to, um, you know, to promote. And that's what you sort of always make sure you you sort of cover. And that's, you know, how you do it. But um, some a lot of my interviews now, I can... I'll come up with, say... <clears throat> If I'm doing a strike piece, I'll um I'll put in a request and say you know I want to talk about you know their 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 you know something from the past and if they're up for it they'll say yeah you know so if they're not they said they're not available well then you just wait to uh, another time when they are available. Another aspect of your book that I enjoyed was that your, your chapter about interviewing the guys from Yes I think uh, exemplified uh, sort of two ends of the spectrum 
of, I guess, enthusiasm uh, of an interview subject, right? Where you have Steve Howe over here on one end who, who comes across as very low energy and maybe not all that into it. And then who was it? Uh, uh, Rick Wakeman on the other end, who's, you know, you know, a bun- you know, a bundle of joy and having a great time and, you know, going out for drinks and all this. When, when, when talking to someone who's closer to the Steve Howe level of uh, enthusiasm about whatever they are promoting and whatever questions you have for them, how do you manage that? Like, how, how do you, you kind of gently navigate a bad mood or, or, or maybe a distrusting sort of artist? That's, that's, that's a very good question. That's, that's hard work, absolutely hard work. Yeah. And knowing and reading the room, I suppose, just trying to figure out, okay, so he's not infused, he's... he's um. He's, he's not wanting to do this sort of stuff. So, you again, you try and sort of, you know, try and feel your way around and go, okay, what can I ask him that might get him a bit more interested, you know? Um, but Steve Howard is very much sort of, he was much more sort of a reserved sort of an artist. Well, Rick Waitman was the total opposite. He was there. He could have chatted with me for days. And, I mean, that's just who he is. I mean, uh, he has a show in the UK called uh, Grumpy Old Men, you know, and um, <laughs> he talks about all those sort of funny stories and um, absolutely fantastic. I mean, he's a guy you could go on tour with. And uh, never want to leave because the amount of stories, well, you know, uh, Steve Howe is a total different guy, much more reserved, um, you know, and, and I think um, how I managed to sort of get stuff out of, out of him was much more sort of concentrating on his guitar playing and you know, talking mm. things about like, you know, um, his projects like Asia and, um, and that mm. sort of stuff, you know, where, you know, uh, yeah, interested him a lot more. You're a musician yourself, right? So I know that plays a role in, in the sort of questions that you're able to ask that someone who isn't is not able to. Um, how do artists typically know right away that they're talking to someone else who plays music and, and knows, understands big music concepts? Does that put them more at ease? Do you think they're more comfortable talking to you because you play yourself? Or do you often come across artists who don't really care that much or you know they're don't think about it or it's not a big priority to them you know how do, how does your music background impact how you talk to some of these people it's a very good question i mean i've come across a lot of like in the early days a lot of younger acts um really didn't care whether you're a musician or not um, oh, okay but a lot of the ones have been around for a long time they do and looking you know, a lot of times I've, I've turned up and they've and they they say straight away to me you're a musician, aren't you? And I go, yeah, how can you tell? And they go, well, you just look like a musician. You just look yeah. like it. You look like us. And I go, yeah. oh, I am. You know, thank you so much. You know, and yeah. it's just amazing. I mean, I can walk into a, a venue, you know, and people say to me, um, you know, even with, before they know I'm a musician, I say, you're a musician. And I go, how can you tell? <laughs> so there must be something about it. I mean, I don't know. It's just um, people just say to me, there's certain ways that you walk and how you are. But um, look, when I do find out musician, yeah, it is. It's it's easy to navigate. But the, I, I know in the early days, um sort of a lot of those sort of upcoming bands they really don't care they're just more about um you know doing their sort of promo stuff for the uh for the album and, and off they go but you know a lot of the ones that have been around for a long time they do i mean they know then it's like well you know you're not you're not sort of hanger on or someone just wants a bit of a story yeah you know you're speaking to something that, that i'm also curious about is when what would you say is the biggest difference uh between younger groups and more established artists you know is it that sort of appreciation do you find that older artists tend to be a little more down to earth a little less high on their own supply you know how would you put it absolutely i think the younger because they've been around and, and they know i mean as the famous song by acdc says it's a long way to top if you want to rock and roll you know everything that's uh, bon scott sang in that lyric is uh, absolutely true and most bands go through it you know they get screwed over they get you know they're on tour forever they you know whatever and that sort of develops their character i mean acdc is a classic example played every every place you could think of you know every sort of gig and 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 that's why they're still around you know um 40 whatever 50 years now um yeah. so yeah look i i find that the younger bands sort of uh they're, they're new to the game they don't understand it and they've got a lot to go through and i think they don't really you know and again if they fall into the myth making thing i think they sort of yeah. tend to think it's a big part big party they're they're young and wild and crazy and you know that, that's what you do when you're young anyway but yeah. there comes a time where you sort of you know you got to go. Well, you know, do I want this to be serious, or do you want to do you want to stay here in another twenty years in this business, or do I want to just do this now and then do something different? And that's why a lot of bands, young bands, sort of don't last long. Oh, because um, yeah. the road's tough. You know, it's very tough business. It's I mean, even today, it's so tough. You know, um, 
But uh, the road is what, as I say, turns the boys into men. You know, if you can't oh. handle the road, um, you're not going to last long anywhere else, you know. And, and it's like a marriage. You've got to be able to sort of put up with each other. And so the bands have lasted longest, have been through all of that, and, and, and they, they understand it. You know, they, they, that's why they're a lot more down to earth and, and much more appreciation for what they do, you know. Oh, for sure, for sure. Well, look, bef- uh, let, let's talk about a couple of the artists that you profile in your book. Uh, chapter two uh, of your book uh, is about Lemmy uh, from Motorhead, which is an immediate attention getter. Uh, anytime someone brings up Lemmy, we have to listen. <laughs> so, so please, can you tell us a little bit about you know uh, what it was like being around that guy? Because that's a guy that is a guy who has a very clear legend status right you know what was he like you know off stage and maybe away from sort of you know all those legendary aspects well lenny lenny was one of the truest gentlemen and true rock stars i've had ever met absolutely wonderful guy um he definitely did live that whole rock and roll lifestyle but you know the thing about lenny was he was such a nice guy such a wonderful friendly person very intelligent very witty um you know, he was he, he he respected women, absolutely respected women. Wow. You know, he was from the old school. I mean, now people would say, but Lemmy was Lemmy. Like, you know, you see the videos again. He's it's a rock and roll thing. But you know, yeah. underneath it, he was a true gen. He 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 was um I, I can't really say you know um so much about it because basically it it, it it sums it all up. A true wonderful human being and uh. And the thing about Lemmy was he, um, when I first interviewed him, was via the phone. And I was warned by other journalists that he was a really tough person to interview no. because he, um, he didn't suffer fools gladly. And if you uh, asked him a stupid question, that was it. You'll never, you would never get an interview with him again. So he yeah. put me through my paces. He absolutely made it so hard for me. But I came up every time with, you know, asking him the, the questions I wanted to ask him in the manner that, um, in the end, he, he uh, really respected it and he and i never forget when he um we finished the interview said to me you know what joe that's one of the best interviews i've ever uh done um and i go oh gee thank you lemmy and he goes i want to invite you backstage to my show when i turn up in australia in, in later in the year and he kept wow. his promise and basically when he came out he invited me backstage i got to spend an hour with him in his dressing room just himself and i he had the interview i did he, he actually was reading it in front of me um <laughs> He offered me some, you know, some Jack Daniels, which was, yeah, the Lenny drink. And um, yeah. absolutely wonderful guy. And my, my, my chapter goes into that in detail about that. But uh, absolutely wonderful guy and um, truly missed. I think rock and roll was lost. Yeah. Was truly legends in, in music. Yeah, you know, uh, it, the world just doesn't seem to be quite right ever since he passed. Because, I mean, he, there, there was, in 2016, there was a run of of legendary rock stars who passed away all in a short amount of time. And I remember that he was New Year's Eve 2015, unfortunately. And yeah, uh, I never got a chance to see him in concert. I've only been able to, you know, watch documentaries about him and listen to his records. I was happy to see in your book that you mentioned that uh, you and I have the fa- the same favorite Motorhead song, uh, Killed by Death. That's right. <laughs> absolutely. That's- I love that. That video is absolutely fantastic. I, I never forget, you know, watching that video and going, this is so cool, you know? Yeah! Um, okay, I'm going out now. Not like that, you're not. And I have to say, look, Motorhead was the loudest concert I have ever been to in my life, you know? And I've been yeah. to, like, probably three, 400 concerts, you know? And, um, yeah. and they were at that when I saw Motorhead that year, they were support band to Motley Crue, right? And um, yeah. so Motley Crue were tame compared to yeah. Motorhead. I, mean, I had, I had um, earplugs in my ear and still my ears were ringing three days later. Oh. <laughs> oh, my. You know, I love Motley Crue, but in a just world, those would have been flipped. They, they should have been opening for him in, in my Absolutely. I, I agree with you. Um, absolutely. Yeah. I, think, I, I found the uh, Motley Crue concert a bit actually uh, – as I said, tame and sort of boring compared to Motorhead, yeah. which was like full on energy and like, yeah, you know. Sure. Yeah. So um, a- another guy you spoke to in the book that um, maybe doesn't have quite the sort of mythological legendary status that Lemmy does, but is is someone that I find to be very interesting because he has such a in-depth and lengthy career in the music industry. And he's been a part of so many 
pieces of music that most people don't even realize. And I'm talking about Steve Lukather, right? You know, who's been, uh, he maybe he might be the ultimate studio guy, you know? So when you were talking to him, was it a similar sort of vibe where he picked up on uh, that, that you're a musician and, the, and you're asking him, you know, technical music related questions instead of like, what was it like when you met Michael Jackson? You know, like, uh, what, what was what was Steve like? I, I've always heard that he's, he's a very cool guy in person, but and very down to earth. Absolutely fantastic. Look, I had spoken to him quite a few times over the phone, um, interviewed him. So he already knew about my background and that sort of stuff. But um, when I got to meet him, it was really cool. You know, we just sat down and um, he, they were on tour with, uh, he was on tour with Toto in Australia and, um, yeah, just chatted about the studio days and and uh, very cool dude. You know, I mean, uh, like you said, he's one of the, he's the most recorded guitar guitarist in the world, I think. Um, he's played yeah. on, yeah, like you mentioned, just about every hit, you know, there was. So, um absolutely a shredder of a guitar player too i mean watching him play live was absolutely like wow you know gobsmacking really um you sort of go home and you go well he's a guitar player my guitar player <laughs> <laughs> yeah um and then the third guy i gotta ask about is uh, a figure that again you know some people at least nowadays sadly might not you know have the name recognition of uh george martin you know the producer for the beatles you know uh, such a legendary figure, such a grandfather, godfather over rock and roll, because, you know, the Beatles really, really jump-started it all. You know, being in the presence of that guy, what were the things that you learned when you talked to him, and, and what was it like interacting with that guy? Because now we're talking very late in his life, right? That's right, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, that was that's probably the highlight of my career, because that's, that's true rock royalty. I mean, that's just one step yeah. away from the Beatles, really. Right. You know? Um, and uh, I, I reckon uh, that was probably one of the most nerve-wracking sort of few weeks before interviews I did because uh, what do you ask a guy who's probably been asked every single question in the book over the years, you know? Right. Um, like I said, it was in 2002 when I interviewed him, so he's already in, in his later part of his career. Um, so I spent, I remember spending three weeks just going through everything I could find on the Beatles and George Martin and that, and eventually I found, you know, I eventually put together some great questions. And mind you, I have to say too, there was about 100 journalists on the list who were um, uh, sort of, um, you know, going to be interviewing him. And he went through the whole list of them and he handpicked 20. And one of the 20 was me. And, uh, oh. and I got told this, you know. So he obviously uh, did a lot of background checking on stuff. Um, so, you know, I spent half an hour with him and Lady Martin in, um, in this up, sort of upmarket hotel in, in Melbourne. And uh, it was that truly wonderful. I mean, he was just really, you know, made a cup of tea and um, just I was happy to talk about the Beatles and anything. I mean, he, I remember he's telling me his favourite guitar player was Jeff Beck. Absolutely oh. loved working with Jeff Beck. Um, he mentioned to me about, you know, the, the fallout with John Lennon, you know, that period and, and about Paul McCartney, about making the, you know, the Revolver album and, and just really wonderful things, you know. And, he, and, you know, one of the things he said that was pretty much a, uh, a prediction and Canely pre predicted was he said that the music industry was heading towards perdition, you know, basically heading in the bad state. And that was 20 years ago. And look at it now, you know, it's really gone in a bad state. So um, truly one of the, you know, uh, yeah, highlights of my career is to have that opportunity of spent half an hour with such a, a true legend. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the appeal of your book is that it's such a wide ranging of, uh, not just, you know, status, not, not just levels of status in, in rock and roll, but like the era. You talk about someone who goes back all the way with the Beatles, and then you're talking about some very current artists, you know, as, as well. Um, I, I guess I might have touched on it already, but of, of all the stories you've included in the book, and you don't have to tell the story and give it away, but uh, what would you say is, uh, was the story that uh, is your favorite? What was the one you were most excited to write for the book? Um, it's, it's, it's a really good one because they're all sort of my favourites. Like picking out your best child, yeah. they're all, they're all favourite. Um, it's really hard, I suppose. Um, um, look, I, I think because it's, it's uh, the Sir George Martin one would obviously be one of them, right? But um, Thomas Coxberg in Sweden because I went off to Sweden. I do a lot of stuff in Sweden um, with oh, my okay. music, and and Thomas is the godfather of um. Swedish death metal. He invented the whole sort of death metal sort of sound over there. And I went over there in 2019 and, and spent two days at his studio, recorded some songs and worked with him. And 
he now today still works with me as my as my producer and um but just to sort of tell his story about you know where he started and and who he's produced and and what it's like to sort of go out there and and, and record um at his studio you know it's it's out in the uh, sort of forests of Sweden where there's no Wi-Fi no television oh, you're just wow. there for the music so um and you sort of get you get a sense of of the vibe of why death metal happened over there you know because it's sort of <laughs> the whole vibe you can feel it you know sort of stuff but um truly a wonderful guy absolutely uh yeah open to sort of styles of music i mean he one of his favorite bands is the beatles you know and here he is yeah. producing creating swedish death metal so that's one of my fa- my favorites personally um there's so many really i mean uh like you said it's it's really hard i mean i've got so much material i mean i've got enough material for another two more books well, that's my next question. I mean, is this the the first of, of an anthology series? Are you hoping to write more in the future? Absolutely. I'm already halfway through my second book. Whoa, okay. Hey, nice, nice. Yeah. It might, oh, take, it might be a couple of years before that appears because it takes a while to write. I mean, oh, uh, sure. there's a lot of stuff happening. But, um, yeah, yeah, look, uh, the publisher is, is very happy. And, you know, with the reaction I've got to my first book, I thought I've got still many stories to, to go. I mean, there's so many stories I can still share, you know. And um, so hopefully, uh, yeah, in a couple of years' time, there'll be another one. Well, I'm glad to hear you're enjoying the process, um, and I wonder if uh, it's connected to. I, I, I saw you have a video series of interviews on a YouTube channel as well. Uh, that seems to be an extension of the journalism that you do for the various magazines we dis- discussed earlier. Can you talk about um, uh, when you got started with that channel and 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 what you're tra- trying to accomplish there? Um, again, same thing. Pandemic. I had to come up with ideas yeah. of how to sort of keep busy. So I thought, you know what, and, you know, I thought I'd do a YouTube channel where I sort of contacted some of my um, um, artist friends, you know, and then yeah. from that it sort of led to other stuff. So, um, yeah, I've done Roxy Music and Slade and, you know, they're all guys I, I know. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, look, you know, it's slightly building up. I mean, it's, it's it's hard work, as you know yourself, Joe, you know, sure. <laughs> trying to get sort of um, people to sort of check out the videos. You know, people do watch it out, you know, and, and trying to build a subscriber base is really important, yeah. you know. Um, so, you know, and it's always important to sort of allow people to sort of give you their, their suggestions because I, I want to be able to give interviews that people are going to enjoy and who they want to see. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, and look, it's a slow process. Um, I'm slowly building it up. Um, still a long way to go, but uh, I'm enjoying it. Hopefully people can sort of check it out. And it's called Heritage Musicians in Compensation. And the reason why it's called Heritage is because I'm concentrating all the artists on the 60s, 70s and 80s, you know, those yeah. hot heritage market. Um because, again, they've got so many stories to share, and I want to be uh, one of the people that sort of um, helps, rec- re- you know, record the, these histories for the next generation of people that are coming through, the musicians and, and the audience who, you know, in, say, 20, 30 years' time will go, oh, we'll learn something about that era of music. Because, I mean, look, the 70s and 80s particularly, and the 60s, I think were a, an era of music that I think we'll never see again. It was absolutely magnificent. Oh, you know, I, I 100% agree. Your interview with uh, Russ Ballard, I, I found to be particularly enjoyable. I like that guy a lot. So it was cool to see because he's not, unfortunately, I don't know if he doesn't, you know, tour the United States too much, but I I, I, I don't see that he comes around, at least to my neck of the woods, too often. So. Yeah, no, he doesn't. He doesn't tour. He tours a fair bit in the in the Europe and the UK. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that yeah. Was, I'm glad you enjoyed that interview. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, so I guess on, on that note, um, you know, now that you've done, you know, journalism in both in print and in video format, how would you compare the two as far as, you know, what's best at, at getting the story out? Both platforms are important. I think a print is important in one way. Um, and I think having the video aspect is good because people get to see the artists and you sort of can have much more of a, a general conversation like you and I are having sort of thing. Because in print, yeah. you've still, you still got to sort of... Uh, keep to a format of what the magazine needs, that sort of stuff, and you can't sort of cover everything. While the video, I mean, being your own channel, you can sort of discuss whatever you want, you know, that you mightn't be able to read in the magazine. And I will say that, I should note, that is not your only YouTube channel because you also have a YouTube channel for your music, and I'm going to try really hard not to uh, use that lazy old question that you mentioned earlier. (laughs) But uh, you had mentioned to me previously that um, you are reissuing your first two CDs. Can you tell me a little bit about um, how you got started in music and when did those CDs originally uh, get released? Okay, I started music well from when I was a teenager, really, and I, you know, I played in many, oh, wow. many bands, club, 
cover bands and original bands. But uh, since uh, was it uh, two thousand? Was it twenty ten? I've been a solo artist, been a recording solo artist. So I oh okay uh, had a record deal with a European label, and uh, and I toured Europe every year basically until the pandemic. So um, yeah, built up a great following there. And um, my early music was much more instrumental sort of guitar rock, like Gary Moore meets Joe Satriani meets Hank Marvin from the Shadows. Oh okay, great. So, um, you know, that's what's up my, and then I started getting into vocal music. So, um, uh, my music now is very much sort of, you know, people say it's a cross between Tom Petty and, um, um, what I've said to me, uh, Tom Petty and uh, Thin Lizzy, I suppose you can say. Um, oh, okay. so you know, I, I love that sort of classic rock feel. So, um, but my first two albums, uh, yeah, they're getting reissued. I just signed a deal with an American label called uh, Renaissance Records, and they do a great job of reissues. They've reissued everybody from, um, uh, ELO to um, Night, the band Night, to, um, uh, you know, Vander and Young stuff too. So there's so many bands that they've done. And, uh, yeah, so they they loved what I, my first two albums and loved the instrumental stuff. So they're reissuing in that in early early next year. And it's going to be um, a worldwide deal. So hopefully uh, people can check it out. And um, if you love guitar stuff, you love Joe Satriani, you love um, um, all that sort of instrumental rock stuff with melody, yeah. you're going to love that album. So, my first two albums were called Slave the Fingers was my first one and then Creature of Habit. Um, oh, excellent. So they're the two albums that you'll be hearing about. I will post links to both of those releases in the description below so viewers can check those out here. When you're talking about the music that you record now, I, it's all original now, right? You started with you doing covers, yeah. but it's all original music now? Yeah. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so here, here's a here's an artist question for you. I mean, we mentioned COVID already. Like, how did COVID impact your your music career setting your journalism career aside like did you have dates did you have plans for 2020 i mean did it really blow everything up can you can you talk about Absolutely. how that impacted I a, you i had a whole years of gigs blown oh, away no. <laughs> and then i had a whole tour plan i was planning to go back to europe again in 2020 and that got blown out too so basically no work so yeah. that's how i sort of went back into um full-time journalism and um that's kept me going which has been fantastic so now that you know, started doing shows again, and hopefully uh, I'll start touring again. You know, it depends. You know, it's it's pretty chaotic at the moment. I mean, a lot of bands of touring overseas are saying the same thing. They're cancelling shows because it's you know it's quite expensive. So I don't yeah. know when that will happen again. Hopefully uh, soon. Um, but basically, locally in Australia, I'm you know shows are happening again, which is really good. But uh, I'm enjoying doing both. You know, I'm enjoying the um, keeping busy, and I suppose. The thing about the pandemic is you learn to realise what you want to do and what you love to do and what you want to do more of. So um, I want to do more shows and more writing, really. Oh, that's terrific. That's uh, it's a great positive note to close out on. Uh, Joe, thank you so much for coming on. This has been really nice meeting you. Uh, I, I enjoyed your book quite a bit. I, I thought the stories in there were really good, and I like the variety of genres that you cover and uh, like I said, I'm going to post the links to your music in the description. If you send me, uh, if, if we have an, uh, like an archive of all your past uh, writings that are, that are available online, I'll share that in the description too. So thank you, man. I, I appreciate talking to you today. Thank you, Samuel. Thank you for your interest, John. I really appreciate your, your, your time. And, um, and I'm glad you enjoyed the book. And yeah, with the different genres, that's another thing I wanted to do is I wanted to sort of cater for every age group, you know, because there's yeah. you know, stuff about the young band, emo bands, Classic rock bands, heavy metal bands. Um, what was that one I've uh, done? You know, the rock bands, the acoustic stuff, you know. So yeah. I thought it's important to engage a lot of different readers who, you know, because if you just write a book about heavy metal, you're going to just have heavy metal people. Yeah, reading. that's important, yeah. you know, to have that that variety because that's what, you know, if 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 I'm like, so so the chapter, your, your, your first chapter opens uh, with Nickelback, which, you know, they were big when I was in high school. I never got into them. Um, but I, then I get to chapter two and it's Lemmy and I'm like, I'm going to read this whole book, <laughs> you know, and sometimes, you know, when you're writing an anthology book like that, it's good to have that variety so people can find the stuff that they want to read. I start off Nickelback because Nickelback was a reason that um, my whole career happened is because I happened to uh, interview him and spend time with him before they broke big, you know, and um, oh, so I was no there. kidding. Okay. Yeah, so in Australia, they um, they came out just before they were breaking and um, six months later, they were massive. So I got to sort of every year interview them because of that first interview and they got me known and that's why I tell the story. And, oh. and also, in the, yeah, and in the first chapter, I also mentioned my whole journey of how I, you know, got into music and right. and how I ended up where I did. So, um, so people get a bit of background to what I do. And then yeah. I start the story from Nickelback and then that's why I go into Lemmy because I thought Lemmy was one of the stories that, people will instantly, I mean, the back, 
that page, as you can see at the back, there's a photo of me and Lenny anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, well, well, one last thing here is that you do, inc you do include uh, biographical elements about yourself um, in these pages of this book. When, when you look to future writing, um, you know, is that something that you want to encompass more of? Do you want to tell more of your own story in later releases? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. The publishers said that they do want to want more of my own story into iron with the other story, so I'm yeah. going to do that. Because, I mean, the first book, it's always important. To, you tell a bit about yourself that so I know about you, but yeah. I want to tell more of the stories of the artists, you know. Yeah. And now that people start to sort of get to know me a bit better and, and get to know my, my the artists I've interviewed, next book will have a bit more of my own sort of, you know, um, story in, in, into iron with everybody else that I've interviewed and, and played with. Very good. Yeah, I hope your your next books uh, include some of your own road stories because I'm sure you've experienced your fair share of uh, crazy behind the scenes stuff. And uh, absolutely, that, uh, I'll definitely have some road stories that. about that one. Absolutely, there'll be some great some road stories on that one. Well, thanks, man. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, hopefully, we can talk again soon. Uh, good luck, you know, with the book. Good luck with uh, future gigs and future writing. And uh, also, this will be my last episode of the year. So happy holidays and happy new year to you. Uh, happy holidays to you and happy new year too. And thank you so much for your interest, Joe. And, um, and thank you to uh, everybody out there. And um, hopefully they enjoy the uh, book and the music. And we'll speak again soon, I'm sure. Awesome. Hey, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember the big four things you can do to support this show that don't cost a dime. Number one, listen to the show. If you're hearing this now, that means you did this part already. Thank you. There is an infinite amount of content out there, so you choosing to spend some time listening to this show means a great deal to me. Number two, if you like what we did here, please recommend this show to family, friends, or anyone you know who's looking for a podcast, particularly about music. Share our links in Facebook groups, subreddits, and recommendation threads. Whatever you can do is highly appreciated on my end. Number three, find us on social media. Follow us on Twitter at PlayThatPodcast. Like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash PlayThatPodcast. And subscribe to our YouTube channel at YouTube.com slash C slash PlayThatRockNRoll. Lots of great material, like photos and vlogs, on all three platforms, as Play That Rock and Roll is very much meant to be a content hub as well as a podcast. And finally, the big ask. Number four, please give us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I know this part is a hassle, but it really does help the show a great deal. Not just because it affects the algorithm, but also because it gives me something I can point to when pitching this show to potential guests. The more social media followers and positive ratings the show has, the better chance I have for booking high-profile guests for interviews. So if you take a moment to give us even just a five-star rating, you are actively giving us a tool to do bigger and better things here. But whatever the case, I appreciate any and all efforts you take to support us here and play that rock and roll. Be sure to join us next time for more great stories and music from the world of classic rock.